So we've been talking about Advent. So is this is this is this the season of Advent or is it Christmas time, right? Simply, like, is it, it's Christmas time, right? Or is it the season of Advent? Can it be both? Can it be both of them? Well, yes and no. For those who observe a more um, liturgical view of the church year, seeing the church year structured around the life of Christ, it is Advent. Advent, which is a four-week season of waiting and anticipating the birth of Christ. And it's a time when we identify with uh, the struggles and the longings of God's people down through the ages, uh, looking to God for help and identify with the prophets who looked ahead for this time for the Messiah and identifying with uh, the struggles they went through. And Helen's devotional stress. Um, um, focused on that, both in the life of her father and her grandfather, as well as in the life of Jesus and his family. For those who observe the season of Advent, the season of Christmas technically does not begin until Christmas Eve and then is celebrated for two weeks. That doesn't mean gifts every day. It means in terms of celebrating the birth of Christ, we start on Christmas Eve and celebrate for a couple weeks. Now, for other church traditions, and maybe the ones you grew up in, in the culture in general, it's Christmas time. You know, what's this Advent business? Who added this thing, right? And, and for many, it's been Christmas time uh, since way back, oh, even before, perhaps even Halloween. For many Christians, it may not make much of a difference whether it's Advent or Christmas until it comes time to make musical choices in church. <laughs> now I've got your attention. Why don't we sing more Christmas carols all month? Technically, you don't sing Christmas hymns and carols until Christmas. You sing Advent hymns before that. In fact, the Covenant Companion did an article two years ago entitled, Why Not Christmas Carols During Advent? And, and a colleague and a friend of ours who serves on staff with our daughter-in-law at uh, Resurrection Covenant in the city, David Burlin, actually did his doctoral work on liturgy in the church. And David is a purist on this one. In fact, David jokes in that article and interview, he says, My advisor once said that written on my tombstone will be the epitaph, he sang no Christmas songs during Advent. <laughs> he also has a sense of humor. <laughs> Others in the article said they, they like to focus on Advent, but adapt and add in carols and other worship themes that fit with Advent themes. And you'll see, like, for example, what Caleb put together today. We sang one of our worship songs that speaks of waiting, that theme of Advent around waiting. And, um, uh, and, then, and, and uh, some of those that uh, noted in the article that there's really only a few familiar Advent hymns and like tons of Christmas songs. And how do you fit them on if you've got four weeks of Advent and only a week or two of Christmas? It makes worship planning difficult. One of the pastors, uh, one of the worship leaders uh, interviewed for the article said, I got this advice from a pastor I served at once. Don't fight the Advent music debate. The culture won that one. <laughs> Sing the Christmas songs. Well, we don't want to fight either. Uh, but we do want to identify with this season of waiting, bearing the weight as the, as the devotional is entitled. And we will do that with this devotional and by weaving our theme around the verses of the most familiar Advent hymn, which is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's based on the names given to the promised Messiah in Scripture. It's a really old hymn. It goes, its origins go back nearly 11 centuries to the 800s, back when it was common to sing Scripture. And, and the songs sometimes would be introduced with little phrases. And they were phrases um, that were sung before the singing of a psalm. They were called antiphons, A-N-T-I-P-H-O-N-S. And there were seven of them that were sung in the week right before Christmas, and they were based on names of the Messiah that we draw from prophecy. And they all begin with O, so they're called the O Antiphons. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, thou dayspring. O come, desire of nations. Rod of Jesse, wisdom from on high, key of David. 
It eventually became a hymn, and the tune that we now know was added, a French tune, uh, in the 1500s. The Latin hymn was published in a, in a hymnal at that time in the 1700s, and the English translation that we now have came in the mid-1800s. There's at least seven verses as a song, and we will focus on five of them. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, this week. Next week, we'll look at O Come, Thou Dayspring. Two weeks from today, we'll look at O Come, Thou Desire of Nations, Come. The Sunday just before Christmas, O Come, Thou Rod of Jesse. And on Christmas Eve, we'll speak of O Come, Thou Key of David, who opens the door in the way to salvation. But today, we sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Those words tap into the circumstances of God's people and their deep longing. God's people had experienced the exile in Egypt way, way back. And then they'd experienced a literal exile in Babylon when Jerusalem was destroyed after the divided kingdom. The temple in Jerusalem was where they could draw near to the the closest they could get to the presence of God. And yet, when the temple was destroyed and they were dragged off to Babylon, there was no way that that God could be present with them. So this promise of Emmanuel was a strong, a strong one that captured their attention. In lonely exile, captive, mourning their deep losses, please come and pay a ransom for our freedom and release. Exile, captivity, mourning, and ransom are not really the most cheery Christmassy words. But they were the reality for God's people. They're part of the story of God's people. And as Helen pointed out, they're part of the story of Jesus and his birth. That after his birth, his family went into exile. They were refugees. They had to flee Israel and go to Egypt. And as they went, they were mourning the death of so many little boys who did not escape mourning lonely exile those are words that rang true then 2,000 years ago as God's people anticipated and waited they're words that rang true 68 years ago when Chin Lee and his dad and his brother fled North Korea and they're words that still ring true in this time of the now and the not yet yes Christ has come and saved us from our sins but not all is done not all is right yet and so we still live with a longing for when Christ will come and consummate and make all things right. Our longing is for God to truly be real, to truly be present, to be with us comforting, encouraging, reassuring, saving, and bringing us hope. To truly be with us, comforting us when we are alone and hurting. To be encouraging when we are discouraged and down. To be reassuring when we are fearful, anxious, and uncertain. To be saving when we are burdened by guilt and constantly living with a sense that we are falling short. I'm always falling short. I need some grace. And Emmanuel comes and brings forgiveness and hope. Hope in his presence now. And hope that he will come again to restore all things and make things right. O come, O come, Emmanuel, which means God with us. It comes to us in the scriptures in Isaiah 7, 14, 14, nearly 700 years before Christ. The prophet said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. But this this little phrase was buried in a, a somewhat obscure prophecy. And when you read all the words around it, it looks like it was directly to the time of this evil king Ahaz. And so it's hard to see where it fits. And for hundreds of years, students of Scripture were puzzled by this prophecy. A virgin will conceive and have a son, and he'll be called Emmanuel. God will be with us. What could it mean? When was it fulfilled, or when would it be fulfilled? 
And over time, it became connected with what we know as the messianic expectation, that longing for the Messiah. And so Emmanuel became one of the names attached to the one the people longed for, the one with a capital O, who would set them free, who would ransom them from captivity, who would comfort them in their warning, who would rescue them from exile, literally their exile in Babylon, and later to so many the followers of God who were conquered and oppressed by the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, and at the time of Christ, they lived under domination by the Romans. And then it all began to fall into place. First was the, the pronouncement or what we call the annunciation to Mary by the angel Gabriel in Nazareth that she, a virgin, would bear a child. And that's in Luke's version. And then in Matthew's version, we had the visit of the angel in a dream to Joseph her soon-to-be husband. And the angel reassured him that this child was very, very special, that he would, in fact, be the fulfillment of that ancient prophecy to their longing. And so Matthew then records, as we heard Eshar read today, that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And Matthew adds his own commentary here to help those who don't speak Hebrew, which means God with us. God with us. God will become man and be present with us and reveal God to us and show us what God is like. Even enter into our suffering, even understand our pain, even understand the temptations that we are plagued with, and he will set us free. God with us. When Megan and I were first married here in the Chicago area, we moved immediately to Denver where I went to seminary first. And she was in full-time ministry with Youth for Christ. And she was working with what we called then, 40-some years ago, juvenile delinquent girls who were in a locked state institution, had a ministry with them. Her boss at the time was a dynamic young leader named Rich Van Pelt. In fact, Rich is still highly engaged in ministry with uh, at-risk kids 43 years later. Rich is an amazing guy. But Rich had a favorite story that he would often tell, uh, particularly when he was speaking to volunteers in their organization and to donors. He talked about a little girl who lived with her mom and dad, and late one night a thunderstorm had rolled in. And, uh, and, and in the middle of the night, and this is where Rich, with a, a voice that booms much more louder than mine, said, this is where Rich would belt out a big rumbling, boom, and he would do this several times in the story. I'll just do it that one time, and you can imagine it from now on. But boom came, and this thunderclap came, and the little girl woke up startled and terrified and ran as fast as she could to her parents' bedroom. They comforted her, they snuggled her, they reassured her that she was safe, and then finally they reminded her that God was with her and sent her back to her bed. Finally, she was reassured and calm enough to return to her room, and then boom, there she was, bent in a second, back between her mom and dad, shivering and shaking, and her parents again reassured her and comforted her, reminding her again that God is with you. Back to bed. And another, the biggest of the claps again. And exasperated in tears, she comes in and they try to reassure her. And she says, I know that God is here. It's just that I need God with skin on. Well, I changed the story a little bit, actually. Rich would say, I need a Jesus with skin on. Because he was encouraging volunteers and workers to be the presence of Jesus to these kids in crisis that they were spending time with. But I tell it this way to make the point that Jesus is, was, and is God with skin on. Not just a thought, not just a spirit that floats out there, but God with skin on. In fact, that's what the Apostle John says it in his gospel. 
He says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Or as Pastor Eugene Peterson, who just went home to be with Jesus just weeks ago, put it in his message translation. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. That is who Jesus is, the, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. The one who is with us always becomes God with skin on. Real flesh and real blood, a God we can understand, a person we can talk to, a shape we can cling to when the nights are long and the storms are raging and we get really, really afraid. God with skin on, one who lived among us, one who experienced pain, one who experienced hunger, one who endured temptation, one who knew the pangs of, of grief, one who was sent into exile, and one knew what it liked, what it was like to be in mourning. And he gets it. He gets it. And so can comfort and encourage and save and give hope. I love these words from the writer of the Hebrews who says this, that he had to be made like them, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And here's a verse many of us cling to in times of struggle because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Emmanuel, God with us. Just the very nature of the name God with us, Emmanuel, seems to call us into relationship, doesn't it? Perhaps more than any other the names that we'll look at in this, this carol, Emmanuel, God with us, a call into relationship. About five years ago, a book came out, and I read it right away, and some of our small groups read it too, and the title of it is With, the subtitle being Reimagining the Way You Relate to God, written by Sky Jathani. In his book, Jathani describes or identifies four ways that we might misrepresent or wrongly represent our relationship with God, and he uses different prepositions. Some may see that we have our life from God. In other words, people in this category want God's blessings and want to receive from God, but really aren't interested in God himself or relationship with him. There's those who see life over God, that religion is just something for, for others, but, but, but the mystery and the wonder of the world is lost, and God is abandoned in favor of proven formulas, controllable outcomes. Science will save us. That's life over God. Others see life for God, and this is tempting to us that the most significant life is one expended in accomplishing great things for God in God's service, living life for God. And those, then there's those who live life under God, that sees God in the simple cause and effect terms. We obey his commands, he blesses our life. We do as he says, he gives us good things in our family, or our lives, or our nation. Life under God. And then Jathani introduces the preposition with, to more adequately and fully describe a living relationship with God in Jesus. Life with God. Life with Jesus. God with skin on. Emmanuel, God with us and us with God. I know what some of you are thinking and your children would say too is, well, we still can't see him today. (laughs) 
Well, he knew that would happen. There's a few things he gave us. He gave us his Holy Spirit to fill us when we come to faith and reminds us continually of his presence and his real presence and comfort. And he also gave us the gift of the sacraments. He gave us this gift of the supper and says, do this often. This is my body. This is my blood. Remember, I, I am God with skin on and have a body. I am the word who became flesh and blood. And I am still with you. And you can still participate with me and draw into my presence when you share in my presence at the table. Let us see the table then today as an answer to our longing, our bearing the the weight of, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, when will you come and rescue us? And he says, I have, and I'm available to you with this gift of forgiveness, this gift of new life, this gift of a comfort, this gift of reassurance, and this gift of hope. Let's pray as we prepare to come to the table. Jesus, Emmanuel, We thank you that you are, in fact, God with skin on. You are the gift of God to enter into our lives and enter into our suffering, our mourning, our grieving, our rejoicing, our hoping, our failures, our doubts. And you come. You come. Come to us now, Lord, as we meet you at the table. May we welcome you, receive you, remember you, and walk with you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.